Welcome to Connect to Capital, the podcast brought to you by Scale Investors. I'm your host, Catherine Robson, Chair of the Scale Investors Board. Our vision at Scale Investors is to create a world where gender does not limit access to capital. We do that by putting our money where our mouth is and investing in outstanding women founders. But even more than that, we know the transformational power of collaboration and we are passionate about connecting founders with the advice, education and deep network that will enable them to thrive. In this podcast, we interview Australia's most successful and thoughtful venture investors because we believe that knowledge is power and education is a key driver in removing the investment gender gap. We hope you love this conversation and are as excited as we are about giving all entrepreneurs the opportunity to create a better future. It's time to open access. The word I'd use to describe this week's guest, Michael Batko, is prolific. Not only is Michael the CEO of Startmate, the accelerator whose aim is to be the epicentre of startup ambition across Australia and New Zealand, he speaks multiple languages, creates incredible weekly, monthly, quarterly and annual content, and is just so captivated by the energy of startups that rather than confine himself to working with just one, he wants to cultivate as many as he can. Michael has Polish heritage, but grew up in Austria and now calls Australia home. He had the chance to follow the traditional path into consulting and corporate life with jobs at Amex, PwC and KPMG, but he fell in love with the world of startups. He more than doubled the team at Madpaws and was then part of the five-fold increase at Expert360, including the $13 million Series B capital raise. In this episode, Michael's advice for founders who are thinking about raising capital just might be the best I've ever heard. And his enthusiasm about building a city dedicated to startups is infectious. There's no doubt he loves what he does and he's always happy to help. Michael, it's so great to see you. Thanks so much for having me. Congratulations, first off. It's um, amazing to be the CEO of a business that gets itself on the front page of the magazine for a national newspaper that outlines the 100 most innovative organisations in the country. (laughs) Thanks so much. Definitely a reflection of everybody who came before me and the team rather than myself, but uh, it is very exciting. How did you find yourself at the peak of innovation? Yeah, honestly, I am definitely building on the shoulders of giants. I mean, Startmate has been around since 2010 and it was founded by Nikki Shivak, who's the um, partner at Blackbird and then taken over by Nick Crocker, now also partner at Blackbird and then taken over by um, James Tynan, who was at Squarepeg. So I'm really the fourth CEO in this long journey with hundreds of mentors and millions of dollars on raised funding and hundreds of startups funded. So I am absolutely building on the success of the people before me. And tell us a bit about your background, because I love your accent, which makes me feel like Australia was not your first home. So, you know, what was the sequence of events that sort of led you to be where you are today? So my accent is German. My parents actually are from Poland. I was born and raised in Austria. And my journey kind of took me into the classic kind of business student pathway, where I just didn't really know what to do. Did economics and management. I had my first job in a corporate actually at American Express in finance because everybody needs a bit of finance. I then did the traditional business student thing to go into consulting. I worked with lots of people and on strategy and stuff, but I actually didn't get to do the hands-on work myself. And then I met my girlfriend in Sweden and she is Australian from Newcastle. And she was the reason I moved to Australia, initially only intending to be here for six to 12 months and initially intending to get a job in a bar. 
turns out the first job I actually would get in Australia was in a startup, which was called Mad Paws, a marketplace for pet sitters. So if you have a dog or a cat and you go on a holiday, you can find um, somebody to mind your dog or cat. And the company has um, since IPO'd. I was there super, super early on for the first year. And then my journey took me to another startup called Expert360, which is a marketplace for independent consultants. So kind of marrying my consulting background with the marketplace background, took the company for a series A and a series B. And finally, um, I left the company at roughly 70 people when my job became too narrow because I love working on a billion things at the same time and not really box myself into anything specific which then led me into um, to join Startmate, which I loved because I now get to help 40 to 50 companies a year rather than just working on one startup. There's lots of commentary around, you know, the fact that lots of the innovation comes from the US and there's far less innovation that comes out of Europe. Being a European and looking at Australia through a lens of someone who didn't grow up here, what's your sense of you know, how Australia is going in terms of fostering innovation? Um, I genuinely think Australia and New Zealand are actually really well set up on the world stage. I genuinely think we've got some incredible talent and all the right building blocks to succeed on the world stage. And I mean, the challenges in Europe are very much one around small countries and languages and expanding internationally, whereas Australia is just very naturally set up also to work on an international stage, even just with uh, the simplicity of um, everything being already in English. <laughs> so just like that, even in itself is already a massive advantage. And usually the first place that Australians and Kiwis go to is then the US, which again, like it's a very natural path. One of the things that I think is fascinating that Startmate has on its trajectory is Startmate City. And that sort of physical manifestation of, of an innovation centre. Can you talk a bit about where the genesis of the idea came from and what your vision for it looks like? Yeah, totally. So we always describe ourselves as the epicenter of a startup ambition. And the way we do that is kind of bring the three key people together into one place who are founders who start the companies, investors who fund the companies and operators who join the companies later. And if you bring those three types of people together, you essentially create this ecosystem for successful startups. And maybe another lens on this is what we essentially are trying to do at StartMed is reduce the distance between people of like how close can you bring people together to really spark new ideas and get people to work well with each other. And right now in a COVID world, we do that virtually, but the ultimate vision is definitely to bring all of that into the physical world, which is kind of where the idea of, of StartMed City came from. But then StartMed City is much more than that because if you do bring people together based on beliefs and values and they're drawn to a place because of the people who are there, that's, I think, where the true kind of gravity and impact will actually come from. And presumably StartMate's not doing it by themselves. What's your vision? Who are your collaboration partners? Honestly, like when I put it out into the world, it was pretty much us for ourselves. Um, There was nobody else just yet. And it is very much a big vision and a 10-year kind of master plan here. Interestingly, because it was on, in the paper, or there was also the plan, all of the different state governments and councils started reaching out because nobody wants to be the state where it doesn't happen. So there was also a bit of part of a plan to create a, a little FOMO effect here, which has actually worked quite well because if this state is doing it, we should be doing this too kind of thing. So we have started the conversations now. And essentially, the idea is to find a partner on a state level, as well as a partner on a council level, to then take it with us, almost just like as a trio to the federal government and link in the new next steps there. 
the vision itself would actually be to come up with a proper special economic zone where it actually would be possible for us to establish labor rights, tax rights, immigration laws, and actually make them so that startups can truly thrive. So it's a million people, that's what you're targeting? million people is the goal. <laughs> I heard you mention Newcastle. I've got a special spot in my heart for Newcastle as well as um, where I live in Melbourne. So hopefully Newcastle is on the list because uh, the beaches are pretty good there. In terms of thinking about why startups are important, I mean, you've dedicated a lot of your recent life to them. Why do we need innovation? Why is it important? I actually really like a tweet I saw about this a couple of months ago, which was a very rough summary of if you invest in a company such as Berkshire Hathaway, you're inherently investing in the, in the past of everything that has existed so far, railways, airlines, etc. But um, venture capital and startups, inherently you're investing in the future to essentially betting on a different and better future than what exists right now with all of the stakes set against those companies. And that's what I actually find fascinating to essentially be a driver of what's going to happen in the next couple of years or decades. Startmate seems like a unique combination of some capital, but lots and lots of support and networks. Can you talk about sort of the ideal ingredients that Startmate brings that helps its companies be successful? Because your batting average is pretty good. So you might talk to that too. So just summarizing it, like where is Startmate at right now or how has it developed? I mean, the whole idea of Startmate was always the one of founders helping founders. So it was always based on a community the way it works is that every single mentor is a founder or an ex-founder and they invest the personal money into a fund. So it's $10,000 all the way up to half a million dollars, which mentors invest personally every six months, which then is invested in the company. So the beauty of StartMate was always the one of, well, it's ultimately our mentors sort of skin in the game to really drive those companies and help them because they then truly care about them, but also they have the empathy required to actually be helping those founders because so many other accelerators You've got mentors flying in, flying out, giving a bit of advice and taking responsibility for it. And you just don't have that kind of element. And Startmate started in 2010 when we invested in five companies. Um, since then, we've invested in over 170 companies. And we now invest in roughly 40 companies as part of the accelerator every year. And those companies now are cumulatively worth over $1.9 billion. But that is truly a testament of the entire Startmate community because it is very much the mentors who actually provide the, the support. I mean, the Startmate team is tiny. We would never be able to achieve that by ourselves. To you, the second part of the question, which was, um, what are the right ingredients? This is actually a really cool one, which we are really thinking through right now because we had a bit of an identity crisis actually over the last couple of months at Startmate because in the past we were the accelerator and we described ourselves as a mentor-driven seed fund and lots of people can compare us very easily to a venture capital company. but we actually want to be much more than that. And the kind of identity crisis came from a world where we started describing ourselves as Y Combinator, On Deck, AngelList, and TechCrunch all in one go. And then actually defining what your company is when you figure out all of those elements is actually really, really difficult. And digging into that though, like, so to your question of like, what are the right ingredients? For us, it's actually about supporting founders to start companies, which is what we now have a founders fellowship for supporting those founders through the next stage of customers and raising, which is what the accelerator is for. Through the raising process, the biggest problem is always the one of diversity, which is a big focus with a program which we now have for angel investors called First Believers. Once you have raised money, the biggest challenge you have as a startup is talent. So we've got now a women fellowship to help startups hire women, a student fellowship to help startups hire more junior talent, 
And we now have an engineering fellowship kicking off next month for software and hardware engineers. So you can already hear like the core ingredients, which we're all trying to be, bring into this kind of epicenter of startup ambition. And there's much, much more to come, but that's kind of what I believe are the kind of core ingredients to building a successful startup. It sort of feels like startups, the sort of gravitational center, and then there's all these sort of spin-offs that orbit around that center. Is that how you guys think about it? Yeah. So um, interestingly, we actually changed our mindset here a little bit where initially it was for us all about the founder and everything kind of gravitated around the founder and we were supporting the founder. Now that Startnet has even grown up, we actually see actually to your language as well, like it's actually the startup itself as an entity, as a company, which is actually at the center. It's not necessarily a founder anymore. It's also all of the senior managers in the company. And as the company grows, there's actually so many more needs and problems to really make that startup successful. So yeah, so actually I do agree with what you said. It's, it's all about the startups and then actually bringing in those like layers, like an onion, onion almost like together to support them. It's pretty competitive to get into Startmate. How do you think about making it as accessible as possible, but also making sure you don't dilute the program by offering it too widely to companies that might not benefit enough because of this stage they're at or other things? Great question. So um, we get about a thousand applications um, a year just over that, and we accept 40 companies into the cohort itself, which is essentially like three to 4% every year. So absolutely, it is very competitive. It's only getting harder. We are trying to invest in more and more companies because we are genuinely seeing more and more awesome companies. How do we make it still accessible? There is the other path, which is, for example, the Founders Fellowship to actually help people build companies. There's another initiative which we call our Open House Initiative, where we actually just open up our entire mentor network twice a year for a period of two weeks for any founder in the ecosystem. So they can actually discuss the problems and challenges with somebody who has been there, done that before. So that is another initiative where we just want to get people to the next stage. It's kind of also like an interesting one where at Startup we do have that attitude of just because people can be walking on power lines and everybody should be walking on power lines. So it's almost that approach of sometimes it's good to have startups fail fast and sometimes people do need to move on. And it is not about us actually giving people a lifeline and trying to keep people alive for as long as possible. Even in the accelerator itself, it's actually often good if founders realize that, hey, this isn't actually the right problem solution co-founder for myself and um, we absolutely encourage that. If you want to be one of those lucky 4% that get a spot in the program, what are the things that you need to be doing to maximize your chances? Yeah, my answer to that question is always going to be the same, which is um, talk to customers. (laughs) It always comes back to customers. Like at the end of the day, startups inherently do something that nobody has done before. For them, nobody actually knows the answer. No mentor investor can tell you the answer. They can't give you the golden bullet. We don't know either when we select startups, but the best thing that founders can do is talk to customers and validate they've got a problem. That's the best way to persuade people to invest in you as a company. That's the best way to get into startup as well is with customer validation and actually truly solving somebody's problem. Like for us, we love investing as early as possible. Even if you don't have a single dollar in the bank account, if you talk to 30 people and they've got this thing that they want to give you essentially money for, but you haven't even collected it yet, that's amazing. This is an unfair question, but can you highlight some companies in particular that you really love? Not necessarily your favorites, but ones you can talk about that demonstrate the characteristics that you think a successful startup has. 
Yeah, absolutely. If, if there's any particular areas you'd like me to cover, um, I can go into some specifics as well. I mean, the first company that, that kind of comes to mind and um, probably a bit of like a recency bias as well, because I talked to them just a couple of days ago, is a company called Swoop Aero from our Melbourne 18 cohort, I think, which essentially delivers life-saving medication via drones into remote places and areas. And as you can already tell by the mission and vision of what they're doing, it's like this incredible thing of like, you essentially have a country such as Vanuatu with, I think it's 70 islands, which are really difficult to access, especially with medication, which needs to be delivered right on time, very fast and cheaply as well. And can take like days and days to reach by boat. But instead, what you do is actually launch an autonomous drone and fly there within 20 minutes. And so that company is just on this incredible mission. They've delivered, I think it's literally over hundreds of thousands of COVID vaccines all across Africa now as well. I think they're now in five or six different countries with a team of 50, 60 people here in Melbourne, actually, and globally as well. And that's just an incredible mission and drive. Back to your question, though, of what do we look for in founders and related to Swoobero. Um, I mean, back in 2018, the team was essentially just two people. But what fascinated us about the founders was that one of them was literally an Air Force pilot and the other one was in the top 10 of drone races around the world. And their kind of passion for airborne solutions and medication as well, actually, was just so strong that there was like nothing stopping them. And I mean, government contracts are some of the hardest contracts to get, some of the hardest customers. And they came in with no revenue. They came in with a kind of a cool solution and a beautiful mission. And by the end of the startup program, they had the first government contract lined up, which was actually Vanuatu. Are there any types of companies you just won't invest in? We have some restrictions as a fund itself, which are essentially like gambling and tobacco. Nothing surprising in there, I'd say. But apart from that, it's just like we love investing in all different areas. We're completely agnostic. All we care about is a founder working on their life's mission, whatever area they're in. It sounds like your job is so fun, but there must be challenges. What are the hardest things about your job? Yeah, I love my job. As a naked genuinely is a beautiful place to be. What are the hardest parts of my job? Startmate is quite unique in the sense that we are not a venture capital fund. We're not just a pure accelerator because we've got hundreds of people running as part of our fellowships. We're joining startups and then we're also helping angel investors get um, their first investments out and stuff. The most challenging part about my job is probably just the one of accelerators themselves are terrible cash flow businesses because our money doesn't really come back until 10, 15 years down the line. Because you're mainly picking up return from carry. Is that mainly how it, in an ideal world, it would work? Um, yeah. So, I mean, we've got a couple of revenue streams. So the first one is management fees, which funds are quite small, like especially of our fund size, our size. Carry, which comes back 10 to 15 years later, but also we distribute the majority of the carry to back to our mentors as well, which even as an organization, that makes us pretty unsustainable. But then we have a couple of other revenue streams now as well. This is why we're expanding our kind of offering across fellowships and and other programs as well. The most difficult part of my job is probably just running a company profitably, not being sustained by anybody else and still growing. Just grown to a team of 15 people from four people 12 months ago. So the most challenging part of my job is probably just um, figuring out how to have the biggest impact possible with hardly any resources. <laughs> and I mean, that sort of feels like a startup environment in a way. So what have you learned from the entrepreneurs that you've worked with over time? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is exactly how we describe it internally as well. We're running like a startup, got the same challenges, but we just don't have the venture funding because <laughs> we're running profitably. 
what are the biggest learnings? I mean, the biggest kind of impact which all of our founders have on StartNet itself as an organization and how we kind of work is the one of nothing is ever too hard. Like by virtue of being exposed to the ambition, which all of them have, we always feel like we need to be just as ambitious and drive ourselves just as hard because otherwise you're almost a bit of a hypocrite being like telling everybody else to be more ambitious, but you're not more ambitious yourself. And the biggest impact that it has from like a cultural perspective on StartMate itself is also just the one of just thinking outside the box. Like we're never afraid to try something new just because it hasn't been done before, because it sounds weird, just putting the word out there. I mean, even back to our previous conversation of like, which our organization Australia is trying to build a city or even announces that to the world without a plan. So <laughs> with 15 people, I mean, it's awesome. Yeah, so absolutely. So it is definitely something I do think we can do and get to. But yeah, it's definitely ambitious. It's, um, it's definitely out of the box. It kind of feels from afar that you've gone from success to success. You know, you started a startup, you know, it's gone on to list, you went to another startup, it's been really successful, Startmate's been great. Have there ever been big setbacks that really taught you some lessons? Yeah, absolutely. So StartNet itself has gone through many ups and downs and, and there was definitely a couple of pivotal moments for us as an organization as well. I would say one of those moments actually was around 2018 when StartMate was actually just a team of two and a half people. As I mentioned, it's, it's not a great cash flow business itself. It, we just had the accelerator at the time. And it was actually this moment where we're, the organization itself was literally running out of money. And there's not, just not that much that you can do. And it was kind of almost at that stage where the company might have ended, gone back to like half an employee kind of thing. And I have to say at that stage, we were super lucky then to get grant funding from LaunchVic. So that was actually a very pivotal moment. And because then we were able to expand to Melbourne and grow the team to two, three people essentially, which isn't massive, but it actually genuinely was like a life-saving moment for StartMate as an organization itself. Maybe like pivotal moments for me personally in my journey, who has been and also me learning as a CEO, which is interesting, is in a team of like zero to four people, five people, information just freely flows within the organization. You don't need to coordinate much. Everybody kind of sits around the room and you just talk. Once it gets to a stage of five to 10 people, you actually start to manage people. And it's kind of this actually very interesting challenge for myself as well, like being a manager of like a couple of direct reports and very interesting personal learning journey. And then maybe just to your question of like pivotal moment for me personally, it was then actually going from a team of 10 to 15 people where you actually now your direct reports start to become managers and actually coaching managers is really interesting. And kind of like the one pivotal moment was then, well, me as CEO, I was been doing like values, operating principles, organizing offsides, organizing people's travel, like as well as setting a strategy, bringing in money. And I was like, Jesus, how am I actually owning all of those things? So actually hiring a chief of staff for us at Startman has been a massive, massive upgrade as an organization just because somebody actually owning well-being and offsides and how we work and what those rhythms are and having that as somebody's top three priority, that's actually been a game changer. And in addition to hiring people that can do some of the doing, presumably you've needed to develop as a professional. How have you built those skills? I mean, probably two things in here. Like I am super lucky to have an incredible board and that is also super important for the relationship there. And they always push me to be more ambitious and support me wherever, I can, wherever they can. 
And on a more personal level, the biggest difference has been an executive coach. So I've had an executive coach for two years now. We catch up every four to six weeks. And that's kind of the outside party that is not wearing any hats apart from making you a better leader, can give you the completely objective take on situations whenever you feel like something rubbed you the wrong way or you need some guidance or you need to talk through a really difficult situation. It's just this incredible touch point, which definitely upgraded me as a leader. And are you comfortable to share who you you use as your executive coach? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Ben Hudson, who is Melbourne-based and an absolute legend. That's fantastic. And I just want to go back and do a big shout out to LaunchVic because um, Scale also has been a recipient of really fabulous support from LaunchVic. And I think there's a real multiplier that happens when you have that sort of critical investment that then, you know, leverages all sorts of ancillary benefits across the ecosystem. It's not just dollar for dollar return. Absolutely. And I have to say LaunchVic absolutely is doing an incredible job there. I mean, um, just even the impact of like what that small investment back in 2018 has now, like three years later, now 10 or 15 people at Startmate are actually located in, in Melbourne, Victoria. Our headquarters is actually in Melbourne. We invest in the majority of companies in Victoria. We've got like hundreds of fellows essentially in talent in Victoria as well. So like the impact of like what a small thing can do and even back in three, four years ago is massive. Yeah, it's really funny because I think of Startmate as a Victorian institution. So you've done a great job. Is there someone in your life or, or multiple people who've been real role models or mentors for you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So the first two people who come to mind, first one is definitely Nikki Shavak, who is the founder of Startmate and partner at Blackbird. He sits on the Startmate board and it's like Nikki's perspective on the world, but also his drive for ambition which is always super inspirational like just as a way to cut through the mess and point you in the right direction that's always been super inspirational to me and very very helpful and the other person is actually also a blackbird person but um nick crocker and i always am so inspired by nick and just the connection which he has built with his family with his two sons now and how he brings that every day to his work and that's just honestly truly inspirational and heartwarming he balances his work and family life so well and I just um, love it so much because so many people have sat on zoom calls with Nick where he just has his two sons walk in and he's he's talking to them like adults and it's completely natural (laughs) well and it's funny because it's one of the great I think benefits of COVID that it's all sort of reduced us down to a human level and you know the fact that we have dogs and cats and children and all those other things is normal rather than it being sort of hidden away behind a professional persona. Yeah, absolutely. I love that you get um, much more insight into people's lives. <laughs> as you know, uh, co-CEO Samar McKellar is, is a Startmate fellow and passionate about all the things she got out of the fellowship. I was pumping her for information about you before we got together today. And one of the things that um, she highlighted, and it's not a surprise, is just how incredibly productive you are. So are you able to share some of your tips for being productive, but also to, you know, that last point about balancing that with being a good human? Yeah. Oh, okay. So um, it's kind of just an attitude towards the world. I think I'm, I'm inherently want to do things more efficiently to scale myself to have a bigger impact, which is kind of where all of that comes from. So along the same lens, actually, I just started my own little side hustle, which I do 
on the side on the weekend, which is called Puddle Pod, like jumping in a puddle and a pod, productivity huddle pod, really, which is essentially like a cohort-based productivity course of lots of people in the startup industry. And again, like here was with lens of, I keep giving those one or two hour kind of sessions for different accelerators, co-working spaces, et cetera, to help people upgrade their MacBook and their Gmail inbox and et cetera. And I was like, oh, maybe I can write it all down and just bring it to like hundreds of people, which is actually what I've done now. In terms of your question of like productivity and the best upgrading, which I can give you on a podcast right now, I'll actually give you a really practical one, which is <laughs> if the listeners are not aware that you can do an emoji shortcut, if you press control command and space, it comes up with an instant emoji kind of toolbar and you can put in emojis any time you write an email or Slack message. <laughs> and I love that one. Um, but maybe more holistically speaking on productivity, the biggest thing for me actually is, I call it the Ed Roloff framework. And I've written a blog post about it as well. It's initially from Nick Crocker. And actually initially it is from the founder of a company called Ed Roller, which is an education company down in Melbourne, a StartNet alumni. But the whole framework is just a one of every Monday morning or Sunday night, you reflect back on the last week and um, how you went you think ahead for the next week of your top three priorities you block them out in your calendar you write that up as an email and as a bonus you can also say thank you and give a couple of kudos to your whole team and send it around to your whole team and it's kind of the beauty of holding yourself accountable planning ahead also doing a nice thing for the team and everybody feeling involved in your journey and i've been doing it religiously every single week for the last three and a half years you strike me as someone who's very disciplined in being able to stick with stuff. Is there other things that you've implemented that you've been able to just make a habit and continue with? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so I can talk about this for hours. Maybe the, the interesting one, I write a weekly update to my work colleagues. I write a weekly update to my best friends back home. I write a monthly update to all of my family and friends. I write a monthly startmate update in the GBU. I write an annual summary of my life on a blog post and many, many more things. I've, I've got like a life story book where I've put in bullet points about my life and pictures of my life. And I've got them over the last 20 years kind of thing. I do a lot of things, <laughs> but the interesting thing, or like the reason why I'm mentioning all of them is because to build habits, you're actually trying to essentially stack them on top of each other. So as you can already tell, like the, my, my Monday morning summary at work is, is really useful because I just have to do it on the Monday for 20, 30 minutes. But then what it helps me with is actually writing the monthly start my GBU because all I have to do is look back on the last four weeks and I can write that. Whenever I write my annual update on StartMate as a strategy in December, because I'll be doing another kind of like Zoom call with the whole StartMate community. Again, I can just review all of my GBUs from the last 12 months and write that up together. Same for my personal life. I write those summaries for my best friends on a weekly cadence. I write it to my whole family in an email um, on a monthly cadence. And again, like on an annual basis, it's actually really interesting to review your kind of goals for, for the new year. So it's, it's kind of the small things which stack on top of each other and then they make the big difference. I'm fascinated. Do you love writing? I actually enjoy it. I'm not very good at it, but I've been actively leaning into it with my, with my sub stack as well. So how many languages do you speak? Polish, German, English? Yeah, fluently. Yeah. And then a couple of others, which we learned in Europe. <laughs> and does that help, like in terms of expressing yourself in words, does it help to speak multiple languages, do you reckon? It probably helps with spelling because I often find myself 
being a better speller than some Australians. <laughs> it doesn't help with phrases and quotes because <laughs> it's a, probably like an internal start with joke, joke that I always butcher all of the quotes because they're always like mixed with like German ones. <laughs> um, one of the other questions that Samar had for me was, given that you are so incredibly productive and energetic, how do you balance that with investing in yourself and being able to slow down and reflect and being thoughtful and caring for yourself? Yeah, there's probably two things in here. One is on the work lens and the other one is on the personal lens. The personal lens is probably the easier one, which I, I would recommend for everybody to think about because especially in the COVID world, especially working from home, it, work can be all-consuming. I've got really strict rules around my work life. Lots of people call it balance, but I actually don't like the word balance necessarily. I would almost call them work-life boundaries and setting yourself those kind of boundaries where you're like you don't overstep them. And for me personally, I know that it's very easy for me to work into late evenings. And I'm kind of okay with that because where I then set my boundaries is that I don't start work until 9 a.m. And then it's a very conscious kind of boundary where the mornings are completely for myself, which is um, I go for a 5K run, I meditate for 10 minutes, I eat breakfast with my girlfriend, we go for coffee kind of thing. And, and then I don't start checking my Slack messages until like 8.30 and start work and then actually sit down at 9 a.m. It's kind of like this really active kind of boundary. And on the other side, on the reflection side, on, on the work front, for example, what we have at StartMeet, which we've got across the entire organization, is no meeting Wednesdays. And personally, as a CEO as well, it helps me massively because it's so easy to just have meetings back to back all the time and just not get any work done and then have to work on the weekend. By implementing that of no meetings Wednesday, it means no meetings internally, but also no meetings externally. So nobody can ever book in a meeting with me on Wednesday. And I don't actually give anybody time for anything on a Wednesday. So it's just treating the time for yourself, having time then to work on the more deep work elements of your job and especially on like the strategy type work. I can imagine some of what feeds that deep work is learning from all sorts of different places. What are your favorite books and podcasts that you recommend to people? So I'm actually not too much of a podcast listener just because I don't have a commute anymore. So that's kind of what it dropped off roughly with COVID. I love books. I actually summarize every book I read so or summarized over 120 books, I think, on a blog by now. And my absolute favorite and the biggest impact that it has had is a book called The Courage to be Disliked. And it's essentially a book which talks about just being yourself and not caring about what other people think about you or what expectations they have of you. And it's almost that book of which allows you to just really live up to yourself. And have there been things that you've changed having read it? It's probably just um, a bit of a change of perspective. It's maybe how often people describe me as being unflappable or like there was a quote from somebody who was like, I have been trying to offend Michael for years and years and I've never been able to. And that is probably describing me as a person, which is what I mean with like the perspective change of when you get feedback, it's genuinely a gift and it is genuinely something that I always see as I can control that, and that's a great thing, rather than making it a reflection of me as a person and going into like a downward spiral. So it's probably like that kind of mindset change, which is really important. When you're talking to entrepreneurs who want advice about seeking funding, what's the best advice you can give them? Don't seek funding, seek customers. <laughs> it's probably the best one. It's, uh, it's just that one which we get all the time, which is, Founders often see fundraising as the goal and they're um, one and end all. 
but it genuinely is so much easier when you actually talk to customers and when you when you have those conversations because then everything else falls into place and that is funding and um, investing included and i just see so many founders just chasing investment dollars and uh, with completely disregarding customers and it's always the wrong approach last one what are you really excited and optimistic about <laughs> I'm very excited to get out of lockdown very soon. Um, <laughs> I'm also very excited to visit my family back in Austria <laughs> again. Um, it has been just over two years, I think, that I've seen my family. So I'm very, very keen um, on that. And what am I optimistic about in the in the world? There's just so much potential, like it genuinely just so many new technologies coming out every couple of months, which genuinely have the potential to change the world. And it, not all of them are quite ready there yet, but there's just so much cool potential. I mean, even just like with all the technologies such as virtual reality, augmented reality, we haven't heard about those in, in quite a while now, but they are all still maturing and I just can't wait um, for something to happen there. Well, thank you so much for spending time with us today. And you're just so generous. There's so many posts that I've shared with people of yours that, that I've read and thought, oh, this is so great. And, um, you know, sent them to lots of people so you just seem to be one of those people who are in you know incredibly generous so thank you so much no thanks for having me we hope you loved today's conversation as much as we did and are fired up to take your startup journey to the next level as an investment network founded by women no one better understands what it takes for women-led startups to thrive like scale investors we believe education is a key driver in removing the investment gender gap That's why we created Scale Educated, an education platform with online courses for both founders and investors. If you're a woman founder, Scale has two education programs, Scale Founded, a five-day short course combining one-hour live webinar sessions delivered by experienced investors and founders, access to an online education platform, and the opportunity to network with trailblazing women entrepreneurs. Scale Founded is launching in February 2022. The other exciting program is Scale Empowered, a 10-week facilitated series, an opportunity to put your learnings into the context of your own startup with a cohort of incredible women entrepreneurs by your side. You can find all of the information and register on our website, www.scaleinvestors.com.au.